Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. I'm your host, Luke, here today with my co-host, Perry, and the third amigo, Evan. Evan, what's going on, man? Not much, dude. It's been a really busy week. We were night training uh, all week, and then I was still getting up early for some appointments and whatnot, and then closed on another house to turn into a rental property. So it's been a really hectic week. Uh, enjoyed some sunshine this weekend. Uh, got out and shot the bow. Been hitting the gym, enjoying a little bit of that good old vitamin D. Um, other than that, it's been doing the normal. How about you, Perry? I bet you enjoy that vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, you know he does. Yeah, it's been, It's I, I have to say, I agree. It's been nice weather. It's like 70 damn degrees here in North Carolina today, which has been nice. So, yeah, I've been good. Been busy, too. Was out of town some last week and um, spent a good part of today trying to get my new miter saw set up so I can knock out a couple of these uh, projects around the house, looking to finish my, my pull-up bar in the backyard and then do a couple of other things. So trying to get that saw set up so I can, I can get rolling on that. How about you, Luke? What you into, man? Yeah, so this weekend we've been trying to knock out a bunch of stuff. We went up to uh, an area called Old Stage Road. It's kind of up in the high country above the springs. And we took all the photos for our little uh, big announcement there that finally went public. So, yeah, 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 we are talking about the baby, Perry. Uh, so the baby is, we're telling the world, uh, Caroline's pregnant. Uh, we're expecting in August. So it's pretty big news. I'm excited. She's, I think, around like 14 weeks when this drops. She'll be at like 16 weeks when you guys are listening to this. So it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. I'm excited. A little nervous. This will be my first kid, so it's going to be a wild ride. Perry has two and Evan has one, so I'm a little late to the party. Yeah, you're finally joining the club. It's awesome, though. Evan and I, full transparency, have known for a little while here, but glad you're actually able to share it with the rest of the world. And I know we're looking forward to having another another rug rat running around here. Oh, yeah, man. It was a I saw I saw your post. I got excited again. It was kind of like your little your little reveal when, you know, not to brag, but me and Perry had the best reaction is what what your wife said. So it was good, man. Super pumped about all that. Yeah, man, I'm real excited. Your y'all's reaction was priceless. I have to put that up now that we're telling folks. I'll put that up on, on the social media, as Perry says. But we'll get that up so everybody can see it. It's the social training. media. We should make Perry a shirt that says the social media. <laughs> we should. I would wear the hell out of that. We're definitely going to do that. I'll, I'll put it extra in the small. Yeah. yeah, Perry's the only guy on the team that wears a fucking medium, so it's pretty funny. A little fun. Lean and mean. Get in the weight room, Perry. What's that? Shit, man. Yeah, you've been working on that pull-up bar for like six weeks now. No, I haven't been working on it at all because I've been stalled out. It's been too damn wet to do anything. And I That's been his the... workout is put building the pull-up bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, man. So, but yeah, we, uh, we, we knocked those pictures out and um, obviously made the announcement. And we also got a bunch of product photos for the baby onesie. So if you can, if you guys notice in the picture on social media that we, uh, we posted, we got a little baby bear deadlift and a tinker toy. And so that's going to go up on a, on a one on onesies and they'll be dropping. They might've already dropped honestly, by the time you guys hear this, but definitely go check them out. We only got a limited supply. We're kind of doing a test run just to kind of see what the appetite is for folks that might want a little bit of baby apparel. If these do well, then we'll probably branch into getting some kid shirts with the baby bear and some of that sort of thing. And we're looking at a few uh, options for kids hats as well. I just got to test one, but I didn't like it. So I'm going to look at some different options going forward. That's good stuff, man. Have a, have you got a lot of feedback on the, on the baby apparel line, if you will? 
Yeah, everybody that's seen the uh, baby bear, like image, loves it. I had the same artist that I paid to do the uh, original deadlifting bear. I kind of had the, the concept when I found out Carolina was pregnant. I was like, oh man, like a baby bear with like a toy would be perfect, especially for our little announcement photo. And then I was like, well, shit, if we're going to go ahead and do it and develop it, we might as well see if uh, folks like it. So people that have kind of noticed it have messaged me already. We put it up today and they've, they seem to really like it. So we'll, uh, we'll see what, how it does. Yeah, it's perfect time to release that new line with with the big announcement there. I, th- I think it'll be good. I'm excited to see what all you got. I know my kids and Evans were a little past the baby stage, but I'm sure there's going to be some good stuff for for kids of all ages. So that's exciting to hear. Yeah, before too long, Perry, you and Joan will be wearing the same size clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're all over it today, aren't you, bud? I'm feeling froggy. I've hell, I've had a couple of day, you know. Oh man, what are you drinking, Evan? Uh, I'm actually mixing it up. My girlfriend was drinking some Tito's and it gave me a little, you know, it's been nice weather. I'm in the summer vibe. So I'm drinking a, a Tito's and limeade here. No judgment. No judgment. I see your faces. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> what about you, Barry? What are you drinking? Yeah, definitely not Tito's and fucking limeade. That's for sure. It's, it's <laughs> Miller time for here, man. Summer weather, spring weather, good water, beer, hydrate, you know, that's that's what I'm sipping on. Surprised you're not drinking a craft IPA in your saddle. That's tonight. Got to start with the the water beers early and switch over. I've got a rocks pour here of uh, some High West Prairie Bourbon. So trying to trying to lay off the beer a little bit. I had several during our photo shoot yesterday. Feeling a little bloated, so kind of stick to the to the liquor because that's better, right, Luke? In my mind, it is. <laughs> That's really all that matters. Fuck you, Evan. All right, so we can go ahead and jump off with this podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pick up where we left off uh, with me and Perry on the last last episode where we kind of wrapped up some of my hunting season, but we left off several more hunts. And uh, we're going to pick this one up with our Virginia bow camp in October. And these are a little out of sequence. We actually forgot about this weekend because I think Perry and I both were just blacking out and blocking it out of our lives because it was not – not exactly what we had hyped it up to be in our heads. We were all real excited. Our, our buddy John was coming in. He was flying up from Florida. He's down there, uh, stationed down in Eglund. And uh, so me and him met at the Charlotte airport. He grabbed a rental car. That was a whole fiasco in and of itself. When I was doing my booking, they gave me a rental car for some random airport, not this airport that I had bought the plane tickets at. And so I had to delete the rental car. There's only one available. It was really expensive because it was Columbus Day weekend. So we ended up paying like $600 for a freaking truck to, to get up there. But John and I met up. I also got hammered with fees flying out because I didn't understand how to fly. More to, more to follow on some of those lessons. But get up and it just rains the whole fucking weekend. We brought Seth up to do some filming. It was going to be our first film session, uh, kind of filming the hunts. And it was just kind of a, a fiasco. I don't know, Perry, if you kind of want to touch on what you remember from that weekend. Yeah, it was one of those things where we worked it up in our heads. You know, you had plan A all all set up and designed how you wanted to go with John coming up and Seth coming out to do some of that first first filming, like you mentioned there. And it just, the weather just did not cooperate at all, which was a bummer. It pretty much rained the entire weekend with just a few periodic little kind of lulls. Um, if memory serves, it was in the I don't know, upper 30s or or lower 40s most of the weekend. So just one of those absolutely miserable times where you can't get dry, nothing, you know, everything just stays wet the entire time. And 
what we did do, what we did have a lot of time to do was just sit around and discuss, you know, how, how things could be better. And that was, I, I think Luke, that was some of those conversations that led to us getting serious about having some more options for, um, wet weather hunts, particularly for, for, you know, for archery season, because the stands and the blinds that we do have set up that do offer some protection from the rain, they're pretty much all rifle, rifle spots. And most of those would not be suitable for close range archery. So that was when we started discussing some of the, some of the improvements that we made with, uh, with hunting blinds and just needing to get more options for the bow hunters out there and all sorts of inclement weather. Yeah, we definitely had some really good lessons learned. At a certain point, we actually decided, like, fuck it, we're going to go buy some of those pop-up ground blinds, which were nice to get in and out of the weather and still be out sitting. The problem was, and this was something I really didn't anticipate, was I guess it makes sense, and I'm just an idiot, but the deer responded very skittishly to those blinds. Um, even having them kind of tucked away, we didn't really have time to brush them in. We just kind of threw them up and tucked them up. But, I mean... I, so I, I would have had a shot at a nice doe in one. She came up, stopped, looked at it, did a little head bob, and then blew and took off, pulled three, four other does with her. Uh, I had it set up in the ground blind. I think, Perry, you had a similar experience of them seeing the blind. Yeah, Seth and I were sitting there one morning, and we'd set it up that evening and hunted out of it for a couple hours and then left it overnight thinking maybe some deer might come out during the night and feed a little bit, even in the rain. We went back to that same spot the next morning, still raining, still cold, sat there for a little while and had a few deer move in through the kind of pine timber that was up in front of us. And they got all the way to about 40 yards, which with my bow was just out of the range I felt comfortable with this year. And there were a few trees there and that was about as close as they got. I didn't feel comfortable taking the shot. They were, you know, they were perfectly broadside and had, had, you know, watched them for a minute. But then about the time they hit 40 yards, they really started spooking on that blind and didn't, didn't hang around too long and, and booked it out of there. So I think the lesson learned there is if you're going to use those pop-up blinds, which are nice to have, and I'm glad we have them now, especially for, for that type of weather and having a few guests out, uh, or Seth comes back to do some more filming, um, get them set up at least a few days, if not weeks ahead of time, someplace where the cattle can't get to them. And that's going to be our strategy going forward. Yeah. One of the benefits for that weekend for me was I bought some new rain gear prior to like my Colorado hunting and I hadn't really had a great opportunity to utilize it because in Colorado it just really doesn't rain. And if it does, it'll be like a real big hard rain and then it'll just stop. And so it's easy to dry everything out and it's not that big of a deal. And so I actually had to sit there in a tree stand for six hours wearing my rain gear with some lacrosse rubber boots on and test it out and actually ran pretty well. It's the Under Armour gear. And I was really impressed with how, how dry I was able to stay. Obviously you get damp underneath rain gear because you're going to sweat a little bit, even in like 40 degree weather, just because you have that doesn't really breathe. Somebody says they have breathable rain gear. They have leakable rain gear. Rain gear doesn't breathe if it's actually waterproof. So it was good. It was good to test and uh, be able to kind of put my gear to a test of sitting out there for three days in it. I have a little more confidence in my rain gear going forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We, uh, me and Perry were talking about this the last time, uh, I think it was that weekend, Perry, me and you had, it was just us up there and we basically just split firewood the whole weekend, but we talked about the ground blinds a lot and something I'd be super uh, interested in doing, especially on, you know, on our property there is, is doing, putting a little more permanent ground blinds in, or maybe even just some natural ground blinds, uh, you know, pile some limbs, pile some brush, like we, like used to be in the GB1 field 
and stuff like that. I think we, we have a, a lot of, you know, we have a lot of deer stands up and a lot of ladder stands, but I think, you know, I, I haven't drawn a bow in a ground blind, but I've seen, a, you know, seen a lot of people do it, know a lot of people that do it. And then also that aspect, we don't have a whole lot of spots that you can sit and stay dry when it's raining. And I mean, uh, something we talked about a bunch is, you know, maximizing our time in the woods. And if you don't go hunt every time the weather is not ideal conditions, then you're missing out on a lot of hunting and deer still move. They might not move as much when it's inclement weather, but they still move. So I think it's something we should definitely look into. I'm, I'm looking at getting one of those pop-up blinds. And then I think we should also add a few more of the, uh, the natural ground blinds or, or permanent ground blinds with a roof. Yeah, I think we definitely should. And I think kind of we touched on there and then about the deer moving or not moving. I think we really overblow it in our head about deer not moving in certain weather conditions. Like they live out there all the time. Deer don't really give a shit if it's a steady drizzle. Like it doesn't really register to them. That is that is the reality. They still have to eat. They still have to move to food. They've still got to go back to their bedding. Their patterns might shift a little bit. I mean, sure, in a big blizzard, a really bad storm, they're going to bed down. But in weather that's miserable for us, that 35 to 40 degrees in, in solid, steady rain, they're still moving. We saw I saw a ton of deer that weekend. Um, was in had great opportunities. It was just almost happened like every single time. Like at one point <clears throat> I was up in my stand and I was an idiot. We were kind of rushed and we got off late and we were getting everybody set up and I moved locations and then it, we were no, it wasn't raining in the evening. And so long story short, I set up in the stand, used a climber, was in a, felt like I was really, really good spot. Group of does come out right below me. I didn't park the four-wheeler far enough back behind the ridge. Usually I don't even take the four-wheeler, but because I was rushed, I just like flew out there on the four-wheeler. She saw the four-wheeler, spooked and pulled the rest of the does out. And I was like, literally, I needed her to take one more step. And I was that full draw and she just stopped and then took off. And I was just like, motherfucker. Yeah, I agree completely, man. And uh, yeah, I know y'all know the buck I'm talking about, the one where it's a whiteout, uh, the picture still hanging in the cabin. It's that kind of wonky uh, nine pointer I shot the one side is like really open and the other side kind of curves in real hard I mean it's a nice deer it's just a very unique rack but that that deer I shot it was as bad conditioned as you can imagine and I shot it from the cabin porch you know I didn't want to get up and go to the woods it was I think it was like 16 degrees and blowing thick snow and it wasn't rut and this buck came walking right down from like where our 300 yard target is right now um and shot it across the cabin. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that just proves exactly what you're saying that a lot of times I think we use deer not moving in inclement weather as an excuse. Cause we don't go to, we don't want to go out there and sit in inclement weather, but they definitely do. And just like you said, they have, they still have to eat. They still have to get out and, and do things. Yeah, for sure. And it makes it tougher if you don't have the right rain gear or if you don't have some spots to, you know, set up where you can at least stay somewhat marginal dry. I mean, another example is that buck I shot last year or two years ago whenever, whenever that was, I was set up out in the open, uh, started raining on me pretty early in the morning. Other than that, felt like a good morning to, to hunt and I didn't want to leave. So I went, it, it was rifle season. I went and set up in the, uh, the one box blind that we have set up. That's basically completely enclosed and out of the weather. And it was right in the heart of the rut, you know, mid November rifle season. And sure enough that that buck came chasing, chasing a doe through the field there right in the middle of the rain and was able to, to knock him down. So especially during that time of year and when conditions get hard and they still got to fill their bellies, 
yeah, no, no excuse to not be out there unless it's just, you know, absolutely miserable. So anything we can do to have more options out there on the family farm and then improve our rain gear, which is, I know, something we've all started to invest in a little bit more here recently. I think that would make all the difference. Yeah, the right gear in general makes a big, big, big difference. Um, you know, I can remember being a kid when we when we were younger, sitting in the tree stand, and, like, you don't want to be a bitch to be the first guy coming in, but you're, like, sitting there jackhammering and your feet are numb, and, like, you're like, this is miserable. And it's because we weren't prepared. We weren't wearing the right clothes. Uh, since I started getting my – started getting my, you know, better, little higher quality gear. And you start to understand how to build your layering systems, how to actually, you know, buy. I mean, I was sitting there. It was in, hell, I think it was in October. Um, no, no, it was last year. Last year we were sitting there and my feet were completely numb. It was super cold. I remember I was sitting there in the tree stand and John had those 800 uh, gram insulate lacrosse boots and talking about how toasty his feet always were. And I was like, fuck this. So I sat there in that tree stand with my numb feet and bottom while I was sitting there in the tree and, you know, a thousand grams of thin slit rubber boots with some thick wool socks. Like my feet don't go numb anymore. I used to always have numb feet. I thought that was just like standard. Like you sit in a tree stand, your feet are going to be numb. That was just the way it is, but your gear really matters and makes a difference. And then you got to test your gear. So getting out into those elements, getting into those spots where you're going to push that gear to its limits. So you kind of know like, okay, this is what I, can get away with and this is what i can't makes a really big difference a lot of guys will just buy all the cool shit because of the reviews they read on the forums but they never actually get out there and test it and put it to use yeah that and that reminds me of a of a scenario where it was i think it was my second or third year hunting i just started carrying a rifle with an optic on it uh that 270 that i still still deer hunt with now um so it had to have been my my second or third year and it was just absolutely dumping and I was sitting at a nine point, Perry, where you shot your first one. It was shortly after we put that ladder stand up. I want to say it was the first year we put that ladder stand up, which was what, two or three years after you killed your deer in that location. Is that right? And, uh, um, yeah, it was so. just dumping rain and I was young and everyone else was out there. Perry was out there. Dad was out there. Jay was out there, you know, and I didn't want to be the first guy coming in. And dad ends up walking down the road and he was, he was scared because I didn't come back because it was cold and wet and rainy. And I was just stubborn and freezing sitting in a deer skin, but I don't want to be the first one. He was like, what are you doing, boy? You know, like, why are you sitting out here at this? And he was, you know, he was worried something happened and he came walking in on the woods with me, but you're right. Like I, I didn't know, I didn't have the right gear. Me and Perry were growing like crazy. We were, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old around there. So dad was getting the cheapest hunting clothes he could because we were going to outgrow it in one season. And I mean, I was just soaked to the bone. It's miserable, miserable. Yeah, gear matters. That's for damn sure. Um, to kind of summarize the rest of the weekend. So we were out there. I know I had a ton of opportunities and just like a comedy of just my fuck ups and then just the elements and everything else. Just it was not getting done for me. I think it was the second day out there. John calls us and he he's all excited. He'd gone to the spot that nobody's hunted in years, if not ever. I mean, he was in a hell hole. But he's been following a lot of uh, Dan Infault and like, the hunting beast tactics. And so he gets in on this bedding area and up on this steep-ass ridge that we don't really go up very often. We need to. It's just kind of inconvenient because we have this big, deep creek that's in the way. And we don't have a good crossing anymore. <clears throat> and so he calls us and he's like, got one down. And he's telling us how covered up he was all night. And so we get up there and 
he stops texting us back, you know, we're on the four wheelers and he's just not. And like, we get there and he's just sitting there and he's just pissed. And I'm like, what, what's up, man? Like you, you fucking killed like, hell yeah, we've been miserable. Like we get on this thing and this was the smallest deer I've ever, and I've seen small deer. I've killed small deer. I've seen Perry killed small deer. This and Evan, this was the smallest deer I've ever seen. I mean, this thing looked like a fucking, like, I don't know, eight month old Labrador retriever. Like this thing was tiny. <laughs> We always joke about killing dogs. John killed a cat. (laughs) It was so small. And we're laughing. Like, obviously, if we don't set out to kill young deer, but just kind of a little caveat off off that is it actually, from a conservation standpoint, 50% of those deer are going to die anyways. So instead of killing like a breeding edge doe, killing those doesn't really, it's not going to hurt the population. So, and we have a very robust population of of deer on our farms. It just hurts your pride a little. It hurts your pride, and you do feel a little bad. I mean, you like to let them get. They're so dumb at that point. They don't know any better. I mean, you can get away with so much with those young deer, and so there's not a whole lot of – but sometimes you get excited, and uh, or you, you just can't tell. Sometimes if it's a, it's a lone doe, it's hard to judge the size. I'm really bad at it. Um, it's just not it's, – it's a skill that some people have and some people don't. But, yeah, so he, he killed that thing. We rolled up on the four-wheelers, and <laughs> – John didn't even need help dragging this thing out. He carried it with one hand, got it back to the four wheeler. Yeah, I think that was one of the funniest parts of it all. Was I mean, heck, you're right. That ridge is steep and it's thick as shit. I mean, it's just you know absolutely nasty. And we got up there, crawling through all that stuff, and finally find him. <laughs> I was like, "You need a hand with this deer?" And he just looked at me and shook his head, I was like, "Nah, nah, dude, I don't." So I ended up carrying his bow out of there, and he literally just slung that thing over his shoulder and hiked it up out of there. But. uh no, you're absolutely right. I mean, from a population, you know, management standpoint, it, it really doesn't doesn't affect things. There's, there's a lot of those those young ones that don't make it through the winter anyway. And we we did not kill enough does out there this year, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't don't remember what our exact tally was for the for the year, but heck, I think it was just the three of us and then that one John got. And usually we have you know a lot more people out there. No, I killed a. We'll get to foreshadow, and I didn't even kill it though. I killed a button buck. Yeah, I completely forgot that yours that yours wasn't a doe. Was that was that that same weekend or was that later in the season? I can't remember. No, that was the same weekend. I'll tell that story here in a second. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, I w- I wasn't too upset that John ended up smacking that little one. It, it was fine, and we uh, we all had a good laugh at his expense, which you know it's easy to do with John. So. Well, we have the FUD hat, which is this old Elmer FUD blaze orange looking hat. It's real poofy and looks terrible, like with the ear flaps. And so you, you've got this deal where if you're the last guy to do something stupid, whatever it is, like you've got to wear the FUD hat. And uh, John ended up having to wear it, and he was just salty as hell. It was pretty funny. So a backstory on that hat. So that was my first hunting hat. And Dad bought me that at good old Dwight's. Uh, local hardware store slash automotive repair slash gas station slash, you know, go get your local plumbing slash basically whatever you need. <laughs> Good old Independence, Virginia there. And that's where that hat came from is I didn't have a, I didn't have a cold weather hat and dad comes walking out of Dwight's and he throws that in my lap. <laughs> so, well, here we go. So there's the, there's the origin story of the, the classic FUD hat. No, nobody looks cool in the FUD hat. No, not at all. But yeah, so I mean, going back to what you were saying, Perry, about not killing enough does, and that was kind of why, like, when I shot that double this year, you know, I hadn't I hadn't hunted in four years, and my fee- freezer has been black on venison, with the exception of meat that you know you and Luke gave me, 
and then Chad, uh, Chad gave me some meat. Um, so I've been, you know, hurting on the venison front and I shot the, that big doe that was with it. And then, you know, that yearling was, was there hanging out and I was, I looked at my girlfriend, she was with me and I was like, if this, if this doe stays, sticks around, like I'm, I'm going to put her down too. And sure enough, she like looked at the big one laying on the ground and she went back and put her head down to eat. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't feel too bad about this and put her down too. Cause at the end of the day, like, like y'all are saying, like from a conservation point, it's not, and you know, they're, they're off the, they're off the milk at that point and they're grazing and they're fully self-sufficient. So. Yeah, that's pretty impressive that you're able to knock. I mean, during muzzleloader season to double up like that, you know, is that something? Do you practice? Because this is my first year of muzzleloader hunting. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but like, did you do you practice those reloads where you're actually like trying to do it pretty quickly to be able to have a quick follow up shot? Uh, I wouldn't say practice, but um, so I I, I shot. So my first muzzleloader was was Dad's TC Encore right when the encore got dropped um like right when it first came out and you know i, I did kill a lot of deer with that with that going and so I, I was pretty proficient with that and it's it's more it was more of like i think a it was a young doe and she was stupid and it was you know it was 160 yards she had no idea where i was like i i think i could have i think i could have stood up and waved my arms around and she wouldn't see me and i was right next to the creek so i had the noise like noise of the creek masking masking me and everything so i mean it, it wasn't it was i don't think it was my skill i think it was the location and the you know shot the big one first and then the young one just hung around out of ignorance and gave gave me a gave me an opportunity yeah they'll do that they'll just hang around i've definitely had some follow-ups you're sitting there late season maybe you haven't hunted enough or haven't had success and you get that follow-up i mean it's tempting i mean they eat well they eat damn well so it's like a veal can't really uh, argue with putting them down, but we can, <laughs> since we already alluded to, to the rest of what, or my outcome. So it was the last, the last sit, the last evening we got out about, uh, about two thirty PM, I think is when we decided to go sit. I went up to the, to the area that I'd been seeing a lot of deer coming into our food plot. I took down the ground blind that was spooking them and put up my, my hanger, my lock on. I have a, an XOP. And so I was hanging it up in the tree that I was in. It was a good tree, but it had like just right at the perfect height to where the platform needed to go. It had a little bit of an S hook. And of course that's like, I get it set up and I was like, Oh, it'll be okay. <laughs> and I climb into that thing. I I'm usually really reckless with tree stands. I have zero fear of heights cause I'm an idiot. And like, I don't tie in the way I should. And luckily I actually tied in, um, tied in my, uh, my line and, before I climbed up in there. And a lot of times I don't because I'm dumb. I'm really dumb. Everybody should fucking use their harnesses. I tied in and when I went into the tree stand, that some bit shifted and I, I freaking like fell forward. I would have fallen out if I wasn't tied in. I get caught in and I'm sitting there. And of course, as I hit, I've got a Badlands Bino harness with, um, it's, it's got a magnetic like clasp. And so as I hit, that jars my binos out. And so my binos flip out and then hit the ground. And I'm like, fuck, like, you got to be kidding me. And at this point, I'm not climbing back down. And so, like, I get all situated and it's miserable. It's like cockeyed. My back is, like, pushed forward. It's just a very uncomfortable sit. But I'm like, fuck it. I'm committed. I'm staying here. Like, it's the last sit. And it's just a steady drizzle, just pouring rain. Everything's wet. 
my hands are soaked. Everything's soaked. I'm just like sitting there with like my hands in my rain gear as close to my body as possible. Yeah, well, I forgot my bow hanger too. So I have my bow like propped up on my lap kind of. Like, it was just not a fun, comfortable sit. I moved to stand up just so I could like kind of get some blood flow into my legs because I'm cold. And a, a doe, a big doe starts coming around and I can see her out of the corner of my eye. And she's pretty far out. She's probably 60 yards. And I kind of know what she's going to do. Actually, no, let me back up. So there's a, a young yearling doe comes in right in front of me. She's 15 yards in front of me grazing. And it was really cool to watch her. She was like grazing on the, the food plot we had. And then on the acorns that are in there, there's a big white oak. And she was like playing around with like some limbs, throwing them up and like picking off the acorns. It was, it was, I don't know. I've never seen a doe or a young deer do that. It's kind of cool. And I mean, I watched her for, I don't know, probably two, three hours. I have a ton of videos and it was just kind of cool to sit there. She's real close and I could get away with a lot because she's young and dumb. And so I moved to stand up and another one comes in. And usually if you've got a, a deer in front of you, it's, it's good because other deer will feel more comfortable. And so she's coming around and I don't know if this was like the same deer that had been blowing at the, uh, at the ground blind that we had put up, but she was weirdly cautious so she circles around. All I did was shift my feet, basically, so I would have my shoulders uh, parallel with where I thought she was going to come out, so I could be ready to, to draw my bow. And I was sitting there, and I just shifted my feet and twisted. She jumps from, like, 40, 50 yards, and she's in the timber, and I'm up against the tree. Jumps, blows, pulls the yearling, and just takes off. And then I hear a crash of, like, more does taking off. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, are you serious right now? I'm So I'm just pissed. And I'm, I sit back down and I'm just like stewing, I'm pouting and I'm bitching and it's the last day. So I'm not coming in early and I'm just sitting there like a child, just pouting. And I've been staring at this half year old deer and she ends up taking off with that other doe. And so like, I've kind of got like a body size, right? And on the far end of the food plot, I see something come out that is significantly bigger than the doe and it's starting to get to be dusk, right? So like, it's a little bit harder to judge everything as it's getting darker but she's this animal is significantly bigger than what i've been watching for the last couple hours sitting in the food plot seems like you're trying to justify this to yourself luke not necessarily us or the listeners yeah no no, no. i'm explaining how this happened <laughs> and why i'm a fucking idiot my binos are on the ground right below me so i usually like to like look and look at the bino through my binos even in short distances and I'm just like, I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a one and a half, two and a half year old deer. Like, hell yeah. Like, I'm excited. Get a range. She ends up, he, well, not she, he ends up walking behind and I, Spoiler alert. yeah, I had already ranged. I knew exactly where 20 yards was, had my pin, uh, comes out, freaking let it go. I never, I don't, this is only the second deer I've killed with a bow. So I'd never hit one completely broadside double long. The one I killed at Fort Campbell, I was shooting more down. What's really cool is you can, it sounds like a punch and then like a balloon deflating and it's the lungs, just a kind of a fun fact I'd never really heard before. And it's like hits and then like, you could hear that takes off and now I'm excited. Like I can see, you know, my arrow quivering. I've got the Luma knock on it or whatever brand I've got. It's a lighted knock and it, I think it's nocturnal actually. And so, it, but it's like quivering and I'm like, hell yeah. I text the boys and I like, got one down. Like we're good. Like turned around. Climb down, go back to the cabin, want to relax, crack a beer, warm up, get out of the wet clothes, get some tracking clothes on, which is basically just anything that's not soaking wet. 
For Luke, that's a, just in case y'all didn't know, that's a real tree speedo with camo Crocs and a fluorescent orange spandex shirt. Don't judge me. I wear what I wear and I'm comfortable in it. And so we roll up, grab the dog and give it like 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour. And then we get on the track. Dog does pretty well. We follow blood. And as we're walking up on it, John's even like, hell yeah, it's a pretty good sized deer. And I look at him and I go, I don't shoot fucking babies. (laughs) (laughs) And then Perry walks up and flips open his legs and he's got a dick and balls. And I was like, Fuck. Don't shoot babies, just button bucks. Just little button bucks, little scrub bucks. And then I brought my bow with me, and I had left my release. I've got a, uh, a True Fire Synops, and I had left it on, and I handed it to my little brother. My little brother doesn't always pay attention. Granted, I should have taken it off before I gave it to my brother, but it's got a very sensitive trigger, and he must have bumped it. So we dropped my True Fire release. It's like a $250 release. And so... Now I've lost my release. The good thing is it's green, so it's really easy to find in the dark in on the ground. And so this release is somewhere. And so not only am I dragging this button buck around, now we're like trying to retrace our steps to find this damn release. Luckily, we found it. But uh, yeah, it was just, I was in the sourest mood. And like Seth is all excited. He wants to get all this footage of me like gutting and skinning. And I'm just like, dude, I don't fucking want to do any of this right now like stop filming me like turn the cameras off like i don't want to do this like i was in a bad mood i was being a bitch i mean it was still a good day we still killed you know john and i both gave those deer because we were flying it wasn't worth the amount of meat we were gonna have to pay to to buy the coolers to fly back so we just gave both of those to we quartered them up and, and boned them out and gave all the meat to seth as kind of a thank you for filming that weekend but yeah it was definitely a kind of a punctuation mark on a pretty shitty weekend but you know what man like at the end of the day it might have been crappy in the moment you know you say you were pouting but that's hunting like that right there in my opinion is important for everyone to hear because that's that is like that's what day in day out hunting is is like the the enduring suck the bad luck the whatever and you know you can watch all these hunting shows on you know, PST or the outdoor channel or whatever, whatever it is. And you see all this great success with monster whitetails, Boone and Crockett deer getting killed, you know, on the hour, every hour. But like that story you told, I think it's important because for, for listeners that are maybe getting started or maybe want to get started or anything like that, like that's, that's a pretty prime example of what your, a lot of, a lot of hunting experience is, is which is good. It's, it's still good, man. Yeah. I mean, looking back, man, like if you told me, do you want to cancel that weekend and not have gone or just do it all exactly the same? I'd leave it there a hundred percent. Like you're hanging out with the boys. We got some hunting in, we got two deer down and you know, it was a good experience. Like it was a lot of fun in the moment. It wasn't, but it's like that type two fun that people talk about. Like, yeah, it's fun to talk about now. It's pretty funny. Like that one weekend of constant rain that then, you know, reared its head again later in the season. We can talk about that after some a little a little more positive hunts here but yeah it was uh it's definitely worth having and it's worth having the, the conversations and the discussions about it yeah i agree it's a, it's a good perspective to maintain and um i know looking back like you said we had a lot of laughs ended up getting a couple deer at the end of the day um it, it definitely was not our plan a it was not how we envisioned that weekend when we talked about setting up bow camp this year and hopefully we're gonna have bow camp again this coming uh, archery season and Evan you'll be there you got a bow now and hopefully we'll have Seth back and get some filming and 
that's not how we're going to envision it this time. But if that happens again, we'll roll with the punches. And, you know, a year from now, we'll be looking back and saying, you know, it was all worth it. So, Yeah, dude, I think if there's one thing that, that hunting's taught me is that, you know, you can expect and plan out everything you want to and think that it's going to happen a certain way. And then Mother Nature and life's going to come in and throw that right hook at you that you don't expect. I mean, this past turkey season, my first turkey season, uh, you know, killing my first turkey out of a tree that you called in, Perry. You know I mean? It's just a prime example of another another thing that you just don't expect, like just a weird random scenario that you have no way to predict or plan for or anything. And it's just, you know, that's just the, that's just the way it is. But also that's what makes it kind of fun. You know, th- those are the moments that make it kind of exhilarating and exciting. Yeah, it definitely, definitely is. Um, I think that's, that's why we're all hooked. That's addictive. And the more you have those experiences, the more addictive you get. And it's the not knowing and the uncertainty. It's one of the only things to where it's so variable. It can be, it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And it just keeps you coming back for more. Um, and and kind of on that note, it'll kind of be a good tra- transition into the next hunt um, that I had, which was my Texas whitetail hunt. Now, this is kind of interesting. This is my dad's boss. Um, he's part of this group of guys that goes down to Texas with this fella who uh, the owner of this property is uh, his son was a SEAL for a while um, and was medically discharged after getting wounded in Iraq. And so or Afghanistan. Well, I can't really remember the, the particulars. But this guy is very gracious and has uh, been very successful and owns a, a large tract of land, a couple of large tracts of land in Texas and puts on this hunt for vets. <clears throat> and my dad's boss is kind of the guy that organizes it all. And they had a guy last minute back out. And so I think it was it was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, Dave shoots me a text and he's like, hey, if if you can be here by Thursday night, you've got a spot. And I look at the wife and I kind of tell her what's up. And she's like, fucking go. And I was like, all right. So I grab a plane ticket. He's like, I got you for a rifle. You know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about flying with guns. Like just get your shit, jump on a plane and get down here. And we'll, we'll have somebody pick you up at the airport in Houston. I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So snag some plane tickets, flew down there and uh, met up with some guys. And it was a absolutely incredible experience. Um, awesome group of guys, all of them that some of these guys have done some pretty wild shit like stuff you just kind of hear stories about kind of growing up in the military and stuff and so just talking to them and learning about their experiences was in and of itself you know one of those things that it would have been worth the cost of the plane ticket but then on that you know this guy's letting us hunt this some world-class deer Um, and so my first sit out get down there that next morning we go out they've already killed we got in kind of late because i had a late flight because i had to grab uh, grab them so late they'd already put down like three or four pigs when we got in there and it's pretty cool then we uh, get up the next morning one of the guys that kind of helps out around the place takes me out drops me in and in texas they do shit a little different they're not sitting out here freezing their asses off in a ladder stand these fuckers big old tower uh, tower stand climb up in there it's got like an office chair big recliner office chair with a couple of blankets sliding doors i was like man this is the life yeah, you were describing that to us, and I think in the group chat, and I was like, "Man, this that sounds, you know, that sounds ridiculous." A lot of people, you know, we we've been fortunate; we got a pretty good setup back there in Virginia. But the way you were describing this place down in Texas, man, that is not that's not your your everyday uh, whitetail scenario. No, they do stuff stuff different down there for sure. Um, Texas gets a bad rap, but I mean, I had a blast, and I think 
I think with anything, like I, I kind of like the aspect of just going and hunting, like folks hunt wherever you're going geographically. Like you don't have to, you don't have to get wrapped up in the way you do it. And I think there's, there's something to be said for sitting out in the suck and enduring some miserable days. But then there's some days where like, you know what, maybe I just want to go sit in a fucking recliner chair and, and maybe shoot a deer from a, from a box blind. Yeah. Under a blanket while sipping some coffee, you know? Yeah. It's hard to beat that. Yeah. I it's, mean, uh, any, anyone that's hunting, I don't think if you gave them that scenario would, would turn it down. Honestly, like, I don't, I don't know a lot of people would be like, no, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to do that style of hunting for the rest of my life. But if I can punctuate my shitty hunts with that style of hunting, oh, I'm in 100%. Yeah, 100%. for sure, dude. Absolutely. Well, because you were basically on deer from the moment you, you sat down that first that first day, right? Yeah. So um, sit down. Sun comes up. I watch uh, young buck comes out, kind of grazes around. Oh, I'm hunting over corn. It's on a feeder. Um, total transparency there. It's Texas hunting. Like, fucking is what it is. Uh, it was my first time hunting over corn like that. Um, and an eight pointer comes out and he's pretty nice. He's got really tall, really tall brow tines. And I just get super excited. And, uh, he runs like kind of towards the feeder and then like basically veers off to where he's going to run back into the timber. And I'm like, uh, fuck it. Skadoosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm real excited. I snap a couple pictures. I'm like, He's thrashing a little bit because I had to shoot him. The feeder was kind of in the way, so I had to shoot him forward. Um, so basically, instead of shooting directly behind the shoulder, I shot directly in front of the shoulder. Um, but he was quartering two a little bit, so it was still you know, a pretty good shot. And as far as being you know effective. And and so like he dropped, but he thrashed a little. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to sit here and wait. Watched him, and finally, he, you know, he kind of went to his death throws, and I just got too excited. I was like, I, should, I need, need to just wait and see if anything else comes out. But I was like, fuck it, I'll just go down there. And he was a little smaller than I initially thought. He was, like, right at the ears. I mean, he honestly, like, he was a nice eight-pointer, very cool character. Um, would have been a great buck. I would have killed him 10 out of 10 on public land. I would have probably borderline would have shot him at our farm. Maybe not now, but, you know, a couple years ago, I for sure would have. But I also didn't really understand like this situation of where I was. Um, so the guy comes to pick me up with this massive eight pointer that he calls a coal buck. I mean, <laughs> this thing was like 20 inches wide and I was like, dear God. Yeah. That's a, that's a perfect example there of making sure, you know, the, uh, the logistics and the situation and the place you're going to, because little bit more communication on your part talking with those dudes you might have might have made it a little easier pass on that first dude you saw yeah i definitely learned something after seeing that one like he was like yeah we we, we dropped this one as a call and i was like what like, that would have been the biggest deer the widest deer probably ever killed on our farm for sure yeah man but like you say the brow tines on your deer they were they were nice dude shut the fuck up <laughs> that oh, reminds man. me of that jeff foxworthy movie what was that movie the the incomplete it's, deer hunter where he's talking about you, you can tell it's a guy, big body yeah you, you <laughs> tell a guy's like bullshitting his way through a kill and he's like yeah but the, the hooves on this thing are, are huge man the body you should see the body on this deer dude this thing is some big old nuts dude biggest nuts i've ever seen on a buck yeah the brow tines on this thing were just insane <laughs> Yeah, he had great genetics. I'm pretty sure I saw, I 
saw somebody either killed his daddy or his big brother. Uh, and what he would have been <laughs> if I had not shot him uh, would have been a pretty awesome deer. He probably would have definitely ended up being a 12-pointer because that's what this deer was. And when you look at them side by side, they look almost identical. They have the same kicker off the one of the brow tines, the same, like, like one brow times longer than the other. It's kind of cool to see them lined up. But, yeah, I definitely think that they were a little annoyed that I shot that, that deer because he had really good genetics. How old do you think that deer was? I know down there in Texas, they're not typically, you know, they don't have the, the bigger bodies like some of the deer up that we're used to seeing. But how big or how old do you think he was? Uh, two and a half. Yeah, so if that thing was two and a half and already had those – you know, those genetics and like you say down there with the, with that property being managed the way it was definitely would have been something to see in a couple of years. But honestly, man, I, I can't say I blame you. First time hunting in Texas, got excited that first morning. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, whatever. Um, but I mean, it's cool to, to kill one. Um, nobody gave me shit. Nobody like whatever. It was just, it was fine. And so I, uh, go out that evening. I killed, uh, a really nice doe is probably a three and a half, four and a half year old doe. She was big. She weighed almost as much as the buck I killed. I mean, the buck, I think the Texas deer actually aren't that small. Um, that's kind of a misnomer, I think, because the buck I killed was 160 dressed. And then the uh, the doe dressed, I think, was 155. So, I mean, they were pretty good size. Um, that was those field dress guts out. So, um, I got a lot of meat, a lot of meat off those two deer. Well then, so it's the next, the next morning I don't see anything. And then I go back out the next night and I'm getting out of the side by side and the fellow that runs the play or is like the kind of guy that was helping out, driving us around on the side by sides and stuff and putting us in position. He looks at me and he's like giving everybody guidance. He looks at me. He's like, all right. And you, he's like, wait, you've killed a buck in a doe. You're on fucking pig patrol. He's like, no more pig patrol. And he like, Says it, and I'm like, all right, all right. And I'm in like, he sits me in this ground blind. It's like falling the fuck apart. Like it's rotted. There's bees. Like I'm like, Jesus, this is like the floor is falling out of it. He's like, yeah, it's a little rough, but like it might be a good spot. I'm like, whatever. Like I already have two hanging in the freezer. Like I'm just gonna sit here. And sure enough, the biggest buck I've ever seen with a gun in my hand comes out. He was probably only three and a half, but I sent you guys a picture. I mean, he was wide, very wide, very tall. Like he was a very nice eight or nine pointer. He comes out at like 15 yards. I think he was an eight-pointer, if I remember correctly, and he just stops. This is a dirt mud trail. It just stops on the trail. There's no real reason. He's not grazing. He just stops, and he like mills about right there in the middle of the open, right in front of me, just kind of like standing there. I was able to take a ton of pictures of him. I was like, you got to be kidding me, and I'm like looking at this. I sent it into our group chat after he left that we had with all the, the fellas that are in our in our group hunting, and one of them was like, He's like, man, I'd have just fought that some bitch. I'd have shot that deer <laughs> talking about the guy that was helping us out. He's like, he, I'd have just told him we had to go out in the yard. I'd have shot it. I was like, well, I'm trying to get invited back, so I'm not going to shoot this deer. The deer was just trying to give you some good content photos, Luke. Yeah, I guess, man. It was uh, it was another one of those tests of uh, that temperance and uh, self-restraint that Perry and I talked about last episode. Well, in hindsight, it sounds like it paid off for you because um... – you did get invited back, didn't you? Yeah, I sure did. Um, actually, I've, I've just been getting back from the trip when this episode drops, but this coming weekend, which will be the weekend of the 4th of March, I'll be flying back down to Texas to go to that same camp 
we're going to go kill some pigs. We're running them with dogs and stabbing them with knives. Um, so the dogs, will, they got they got tracking dogs and bay dogs, catch dogs. Tracking dogs will get on the pigs. They'll let the bay dogs out. Bay dogs are going to bait up. Usually they'll latch on to the snout, and then you'll run up there with like a 10-inch blade, stab that motherfucker. It's going to be pretty intense. I'm excited, but it's going to be wild. It's definitely nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah, dude, that sounds like an absolute adrenaline rush. I'm pretty sour. I can't can't join you for that one. Yeah, Evan was supposed to come down. Uh, there was a last-minute cancellation, and I was able to kind of weasel a spot for him. But he's got some Army training to do, which is really unfortunate that weekend. wasn't able to get it to line up. But hopefully in the future we can get him down to that camp because it's a – like I said, just hanging out with those fellas and just – just talking to them is pretty awesome. Um, and you can't really trade it. Just the, not even just the networking, but just the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood. And then being able to, on top of that, go after some pretty cool critters is a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be well worth it in retrospect to, to uh, end up passing on that buck. So were there any, were there any other trips that you had this year that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I can kind of power through uh, the last two. They're going to be pretty short, but, before that, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and do a quick pause and talk about uh, some sponsorship stuff because we have our first sponsor for the podcast. So Perry and I early on were talking about how we were going to do sponsorships and sponsoring the podcast because the the podcast hosting service we utilize allows you to monetize the podcast podcast early on. And but with looking at looking at that, what I didn't like was you don't have you have a little bit of control, but you're getting matched with guys in like companies that may or may not have something to do with the niche that you're talking about but I have no relationship with that company or that person. And so we decided that we would rather take more time to get sponsors and then find sponsors that actually are either, you know, goods or services that we've used in that with relationships that we've formed and it ended up working out well. You know, we talk about finances and being financially secure and making smart financial decisions that one of our really good buddies, um, Casey Burns reached out and was like, Hey, would you guys be interested in me being a sponsor for the podcast? And so Casey is a loan officer with Prime Lending. Um, he's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. However, he can work nationally. He's done stuff, you know, for our, our buddies specifically from Florida to Colorado, California, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. I mean, he's, he can do any state in the union. And he follows uh, or he, he works very well with a lot of military guys. He specializes in VA loans and he, he does a great job. Um, he's done... Two houses for me. He's done. Perry, you just did a refi with him, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. And it was, I got to say, it was absolutely impressive because it was it was seamless. They took care of everything. I hardly had to lift a finger. Uh, the entire the entire process was just as absolutely smooth and from my end, effortless as I could absolutely um, hope for. So nothing but good things to say about Casey. He's a good dude. He's something we've known for a while now. And to have to have that resource available and have as a sponsor of the podcast, something we're stoked about. You've used them too, right, Evan? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like Perry said, it's been seamless. Casey's one of those guys that um, with Prime Lending, he he absolutely just bends over backwards to help you out. And I'm I'm pretty computer illiterate, and Casey makes it super easy. Uh, he he isn't scared to pick up the phone, call you, email, text you. And he, he pretty much takes the workload off of you and just makes life super easy for any of your refinancing or um, initial loan um, needs. It's it's just a phenomenal experience from start to finish. And I'll, I'll 
I'll use him as, as long as he's in the business. He's just a great dude. And, and what I love about Casey is when he takes you through this experience, it's not just check the block. I want to get your money. I want to get your business. He's all about being an educator and he's all about being very authentic and being upfront and honest. So Casey, he's in this obviously to make money because everybody wants to make money, but he also wants to educate and teach people and set people up for success. So we definitely cannot recommend Casey enough. Um, I think if you're going to buy a home, whether you're military or not, conventional VA, FHA, any kind of lending, you should go through Casey. We're going to drop all of his contact information in the show notes. Um, you can go ahead and check him out at Casey Burns at primelimiting.com if you want to shoot him an email. And then he's got a website that will have all of his reviews and everything listed at www.closewithcasey.com. So check out Casey, check out everything he does, and kind of give us your feedback. And if you guys are going to utilize him, let him know that you discovered Casey through this podcast. Thanks, y'all. All right, y'all, thanks for kind of putting up with uh, the ads. We do want to – we're going to try to keep them minimal going forward, but we do need to start doing some advertising so we can keep this podcast going, expand, make it better. We want to buy better podcasting equipment. We want to get some better editing. We want to get maybe some intro and outro music, like do some stuff that's going to kind of up the production value than just a couple of hillbillies sitting around drinking whiskey and talking shit, So, which it'll always be that. But, you know, we can hopefully get some dollars in and improve it. But yeah, so going into the next hunt, like you were asking me about Perry, uh, this one's going to be really short because it's my Colorado mule deer hunt that most of you probably at this point have already heard about. And on my way up, um, <clears throat> so I'll back up a little bit. So I was in a rush to get out. Things were kind of wonky at work. I was already late. I get back to the house. I throw my gear in the truck and I just, it was very rushed. I didn't do my usual checks and kind of rechecks and making sure I've got what I need and like really paying attention. I'm kind of flying up to get up i was hunting west of boulder um, which is in a great area i was able to get this tag as a leftover tag for a mule deer buck and there's a reason that it was available and so i'm rolling up and kind of long story short the road is is good like it's clear you know i'm on a forest service road i'm just kind of chugging along and then it goes from fine to solid ice just sheet of ice so i, I kind of let off the gas to slow down a little bit and as i came around the turn there's a big boulder in the middle of the road that where like the forest service, instead of clearing out this boulder, they just widened the lanes on either side of it. And there was a sign that had like the yellow black stripes. And so I kind of braked a little bit to kind of try to swerve. Not, it wasn't a hard, it wasn't even a hard swerve, but just kind of like to veer around this boulder. And I'll, that I had a 2004 Tacoma and that thing fishtailed on me hard, pushed me up. Um, it's probably going, 30 miles an hour, not too fast, probably faster than I should have been on ice for sure. But uh, fish held me up, hit a boulder and then high walled the boulder and then flipped it just completely on its side. And so that was kind of a motherfucker um, to sit there with my truck flipped on a forest service road. Yeah. When you told me that story, I was so bummed out because for those of you that, that don't know that that truck was actually a, a my old truck that Luke ended up buying for me. That was my first, first truck ever. I love that Tacoma. And you're right. It's shit on ice. It's so it's so light in the ass end that that once you get on those slick conditions, it just absolutely is worthless. But it's uh, you know, it's a good thing that that you had at least some cell for cell service up there, way in the middle of nowhere, because I know otherwise you would have had a long hike ahead of you. Yeah, the only point that I had cell phone signal on that whole mountain was that rock where I flipped. So I had a one bar, just enough. I think I called called Caroline first. It's probably stupid in hindsight. Um, freaked out a little bit. I was like, hey, I'm fine. But 
And then I called the cops. And then while I was waiting on the cops to come out there, I called Perry. Um, shout out to the Boulder County Sheriff's Department. Those guys were phenomenal. Absolutely awesome. Uh, really made sure that, that I was good to go and were real cool. They didn't hassle me at all. Dude, that, that uh, it was kind of sad for all three of us to see that Tacoma no longer no longer in the, the family, so to speak, because even though it was Perry's first truck, that's what I learned to drive a manual on, on the road. You know, I, I drove tractors and whatnot, but like all three of us essentially drove that truck. I mean, I, I told Perry, I, I let the cat out of the bag. When he was off in college, that truck stayed behind for his freshman year because he couldn't, he couldn't have it his freshman year. And I would, I would get home from school and I would hop in that thing and I would take it up and down the road and burn all the gas out of it, probably burn a clutch a little bit. And, but you know, it was, a, it was a good truck. Yeah, it was an awesome truck. I, I'm pretty sure I taught Luke how to drive a manual on that thing, or at least where he got most of his practice. That, that truck's been all up and down the, the East coast and all over the mountains, the Appalachian mountains. We had a lot of good memories with that thing. So hopefully maybe you can get the engine rebuilt and get it running again someday. But yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Perry, uh, Luke's not the only one that had a wreck in that truck on some ice. No, nah, man, I've been in that exact position. I thought I was going to have that thing upside down years and years ago. We had yeah, a bad ice. Slipped end over dent, end over end, not <laughs> not rolling it. <laughs> yeah, I had I had the uh, I had that thing looking looking like the tractor. Luke Luke had the tractor looking a couple weekends ago where the one of the back tires was like at eye level. And scared the shit out of me, but um, it was a good truck. Sad to sad to see it go. Well, it hasn't gone yet. I do still have it. It's parked in front of my house. Uh, doesn't run, and as my wife weekly reminds me. So the plan with that thing right now is I don't know shit about engines. Um, I can do pretty much all the basic shit on a vehicle. I've replaced you know alternators, starters, all that kind of shit. The plan is to hopefully try to rebuild the engine. My buddy thinks we can do it. He knows all about engines. And if not, then I'm just going to drop a crate motor in it. I'm going to fix most of the body work myself. What I can't do myself, I'll just pay someone to do. And I think what I'm going to do is trying to turn that into a budget hunting rig and then kind of record the process from, you know, basically start to finish. Because essentially, like, if you, if you thought about this, like it wasn't my truck before, you could probably buy this truck now in its current state for 1500 bucks. And now let's see what it costs and how cheaply we can turn it into like a cool mountain rig kind of DIY on a budget. And so I think we'll kind of, you know, grab a little, grab some lemons and make some lemonade and, and see if we can turn this into something cool um, and get the truck ready to go. Cause honestly, like I've got a lot of sentimental attachment to it as well. And I think we all do. So it'd be cool to kind of build it back up as a cool hunting rig. And especially like I've got a Sierra now and it's, doesn't, it's not the best for the mountains up here in Colorado and those mountain trails just being so wide. So I'd rather have a smaller truck that costs a lot less than my current vehicle. Heck yeah, man. Rattle can us a big HLE right on the hood of that thing, you know? Yeah, dude, we'll paint it up. Actually, I think HLE is going to buy it from me for, you know, 500 bucks or whatever, just that, so the company owns it and then all the money will just, it'll just build it out to be a kind of the HLE truck. And, but we'll, we'll see. I got to talk to a CPA because I don't know anything about taxes and all that other shit. So I'll figure out what I can and can't do with it. But um, that's kind of the plan right now. But we got to start wrapping this one up. So we'll just fast forward real quick. The Obviously, the Colorado hunt was wrapped up very quickly. Uh, and I actually tried to go back up. I grabbed a rental car and I drove back to where I flipped my truck and was going to continue to hunt and just say, fuck it. But at that point, they had closed the road down. Um, 
because of the ice and everything. And I actually couldn't get further in there. The forest service had, and so I couldn't even get to the point. I, I drove around all over that area, trying to find some access. And I found like what I thought was good access. And even though it was, it was federal land, Boulder County had made it illegal to hunt there because fucking Boulder is goddamn the most liberal city outside of California. So in Colorado, they call it the people's Republic of Boulder. So they don't like hunters very much. It's the reason that tag was available. So it kind of sucks. Cause I know there was mule deer out there. It was just, couldn't couldn't make it happen I, I gave it the old college try even after i flipped the truck to keep hunting um i gotta give a shout out to my buddy victor he picked me up let me crash i mean he drove it's like 10 o'clock at night he drove like an hour to grab my ass take me back to his house pour me a, a glass of whiskey and we just sat there and relaxed for a while after i flipped it so he was definitely clutch and really took care of me um he's the he's the fellow i hunted with during elk season and uh, he's he's an awesome guy i'm looking forward to hunts with him in the future but yeah, it was, it was definitely not a good thing. Um, you guys got to be careful. I knew better. I should have been slower, driving slower. I should have been in four-wheel drive. And then I should have had sand. I have sand in my garage that I put in the bed of my truck when I go up to the mountains. And I was just in a hurry after I got off work and I didn't do it. So I made a lot of mistakes that kind of contributed. And like with most things that go wrong, there's usually a trickle effect of several little things that add up to a big thing. And I know, Evan, you could probably, it's the same thing in, in the military. It's probably the same thing in most workplaces, too. When you have something that goes wrong, something bad, there's a lot of contributing factors, and it's all the little shit that adds up. It's never one big thing where it rarely is. So just shit to, uh, for you guys to think about, make sure like it can happen to anybody. Bad things happen. Though I will say, when I flipped it, I was prepared. I mean, I had enough in the truck. I could have sat out there for probably three days and been fine. Um, I knew how to get back down. I knew where the nearest town was. I knew there was a phone at the base of the mountain. So even if I had to walk the eight miles back down, I knew there was a phone down there that's like plugged in that you can hardline call somebody. So you just got to know that kind of stuff and be prepared, have a paper map, know stuff more than just what you, what you think. Cause it could have been a lot worse. If I hadn't had cell phone signal, I, I probably would have had to sleep in the truck and then that next morning walk down the mountain. So you guys definitely need to plan for the worst case, not just the best case. And I think I got really complacent there and blitzed up the mountain trying to catch the hunt in time. Yeah, it can happen to the best of us, and the reality is, you know, we've we've kind of recapped everyone's seasons now, and and as as bad as that was, and as much as it sucked to have that that hunt cut short, and some of the different you know learning opportunities that came from that, it's like Evan said earlier, this season with us, we had between just the three of us here, and not to mention some of the rest of the team that we haven't haven't had a chance to dive into yet, but we had some really good moments and we had some really shitty moments and we had, um, we had a lot of opportunity to learn. We had a lot of opportunity to get better. We had some success. And again, that's hunting. It's, it's something that is part of it. Um, do what you can to prepare, do what you can to have all your, your, uh, your gear in line, have your logistics work out, have your, your plan A, your plan B, your plan C for when things don't go right. And at the end of the day, it's all a learning experience and we can all, we can all improve. So, yeah, we definitely, definitely can. Um, there's so much room for improvement and growth, and we, we learn these lessons as we go through the mistakes we made. We'll do a quick touch on our, our last season or our last hunt of the year, which was the Virginia late season hunt, kind of a 2.0 of October, kind of rained the whole fucking time. And it was just kind of a weird, wonky setup there. Um, didn't see, even when it wasn't raining, the they just weren't moving the way they usually were. Um, that I don't know. Everything was just weird. Evan was there and we didn't see nobody killed anything, which is bizarre for that time. 
I missed the muzzleloader shot, um, which goes back to just knowing your equipment. It was my first season muzzleloader hunting. I just got the thing zero. It was a bear to zero because I didn't take the time to do it the right way. And I took a shot. I think I shot clear over the back of this deer, um, almost 100%. And it's because I aimed too high based on the yardage. It was probably a 160-yard shot, and I think I aimed way too high. I just was thinking muzzleloader is going to drop a lot. I also was unsure, and so I was like, well, I either want to shoot over her back or I want to kill her. So that's why I aimed a little high. Definitely not the best, the best way to go. Um, we should, we should definitely know our equipment. And that was that kind of fed my desire to really get those zero targets up this year. So every weapon system we have now, we can all shoot at different ranges, and then be able to dial in and know exactly where we're holding, where we're hitting on every weapon system, and very quickly too, and very a lot, a lot easier. We don't have a lot of time like we used to to be able to just sit and plank all day. We need to be a lot more efficient. I think having those targets is going to make it a little easier. Yeah, I agree, man. It's a, it's a definitely something that's, it's, it's not a, a want to, it's a need to, if you're going to be doing it. Um, and those, those earring targets are going to be, going to be phenomenal. You know, we slapping the piece of plywood out there and slinging some lead at it, it worked, but I think those earring targets are going to be extremely beneficial, but it, it was a weird kind of telling of the season, man. Like there wasn't, there wasn't much moving. Um, you know, we've all grown up hunting there and even still it was, it was almost dead. It was just like, it was a, it was a, a dead zone for deer. I mean, they weren't moving in the normal spots that normally were like we were hunting spots where like, okay, like they're not moving in up in the woods. Like we're going to go sit some corners of fields and things like that, where we know they come out and they weren't coming out there. And just, it was weird, man. It was just weird. It was a, and, and maybe it's, it's me being, um, not able to be around during hunting season the last four years. And, you know, patterns change, but at the same time, like it, it just, they, they weren't, we weren't seeing the volume of deer that normally I was accustomed to seeing even, even late season. Well, it was bizarre because we definitely saw the volume of deer for the early part of the season, even in some of the, the bad weather that we battled. And then I saw a ton of activity during the rut up there, uh, saw bucks and does and you know, we, we did kill a few does up there, but it was strange because that last weekend that we're talking about there, we had, we brought a new hunter up and we were thinking, um, it'd be a good opportunity to, to introduce him and with, with the different groups of guys that we could, we could spread out. We could get in some of, some of the spots that we know that are typically good late season. And you're right. It was just absolutely dead, which was bizarre. Um, it was kind of, you know, we kind of hated to see it for the, for the new kid. It's something that I know we've all talked offline about a bit is trying to see what we can do to, to bring more more recruitment into this not just on on our farm but just you know in general and so but it's one of those things again that's hunting that can always be successful and and it was just one of those weird times of year weird circumstances where i don't know whether it was weather or what but the deer activity just wasn't there and you just you just got accepted and move on yep i mean that's that's hunting that's why we say we say it all the time but it's hunting not shooting and that's just what it is they don't always do what you want them to do and they don't always do what you think they're going to do. And I think we learned some pretty good lessons there too, is I, I think we're starting to get to the point where we're kind of hammering a lot of the same areas. And we are like Evan kind of touched on, we're, we're, we're shifting their patterns a little bit. I mean, last year we had a lot of pressure throughout and we've kind of been calling a lot of people that are out there these days with some of our new rules, which is helping, but they are going to move differently with, the, the added pressure and we, we got to adjust and adapt and, and change our tactics accordingly. 
Yeah, I I think that's an extremely valid point. I, I'm I'm pretty excited, man, especially because of you know it, my deployment schedule kind of shifts a little bit uh, yearly, but it, it I'm going to be be around more I think during hunting season time frame. But you know we've been we've been getting after it with some preseason prep and stuff, and y'all been doing more more of that than I have just due to the nature of my work here lately. But I'm I'm super pumped for the upcoming seasons, and it seems like we're going to start making some changes and I think we're going to get some good results. I'm, I'm pretty interested to see how the next season or two pans out as far as that stuff goes. Yeah. I'm excited to see the results of the work we put in. And then, you know, what you guys, I know you guys have some trips planned to to go back up there uh, in the time between I can, when I can get back up and knock out some more work and we can do some more podcasts on that and talk about what all that off season prep looks like and kind of where we're going, going forward. But we need to wrap this one up. We're, we're over an hour now, so let's go ahead and, and conclude this one up. you guys have any last-minute thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. There's there's a lot we can do. We've Evan and I have discussed some some more plans between now and, and turkey season that we're hoping we can get back up there and do some things, and and uh, hopefully we can we can have HLE maybe get some some content out of that, and we can share some of some of you guys some of the stuff we've been talking about. It's definitely exciting moving forward. And um, I think it's good stuff in the works. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I'm uh, I'm hoping we can get a few more weekends, Perry and Luke, if you can, you know, if you can get out one more time, or if not, and you know, understandable kind of sucks. We're all geographically split across the country right now, but it is what it is. I, th- I still think we'll, we're, you know, ahead of where we have been in prior seasons. I'm super pumped for everything. And uh, you know, I, I'll put in, I'll put in some work before, between now and season as much as I can, but I'm, I'm super pumped for everything. I'm, I'm really excited to have a bow. I've been getting after it back here in the backyard and trying to get as many arrows down range as I can. I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to have my first archery season coming up. That's something I'm extremely motivated for. Um, but yeah, that's about all I got, man. Trying to, trying to hit those band workouts you've been giving me, Luke. I like to think I'm a pretty fit dude, but drawing that 70 pound bow, you know, 50 times a day. Good God, man. I'm, where's my ass out yeah man it's just back muscles you're not used to to using and that's where those bands come into play and they're a lot of they're really beneficial for kind of that scapular retraction we don't have to get into all that right now it's a whole nother we can probably do a podcast on that but, but yeah I'm, I'm definitely excited for where we're going in the future and i'm hoping to get out in may uh do some turkey hunting maybe some work and some prep we'll see if i can get a weekend sometime in may i gotta talk to the wife and sync it up i'm hoping to sync it to where she is doing like the baby shower shit with all her family and they don't really want me around for that which is fine with me and then i'll come up and hunt we'll kill some turks and then do some uh some off-season work to continue putting out mineral and maybe build another ground blind or two let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up though because i got a place i gotta be and i know i think all of us gotta take a piss so evan you want to go ahead and give your instagram yeah, for sure. I'm going to make sure my mic's unmuted this time. That's uh, evan.d.eisner. Um, it looks like Isner, but it's pronounced Eisner, I-S-N-E-R. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm on Facebook too, but go ahead and throw me a follow on Instagram. Yeah, speaking of Facebook, guys, we started the Hunt, Lift, Eat forum. It's a Facebook group. It's open to join. Go join it. That's where I'm really trying to push. I mean, having everybody on Instagram, that's our primary platform where we put all the stuff out. But I think we have a better opportunity to be able to share stuff and, and bring in the community members to be able to talk as we build out the forum. And we've got like 125, 130, follow, you know, not followers, but uh, people in the group right now. And so, like, go join that. And, like, 
if you've got great recipes, good tactics for hunting, lifting, or eating, like throw that stuff out there. We're, we're really trying to migrate to have a place to where everybody can have an open dialogue and be able to discuss and talk about a lot of these topics that we touch on on the podcast. So definitely go check it out. That's the Hunt Lift Eat Forum on Facebook. If you want to follow me on my personal page, it's at loop.d.cox. Perry still doesn't have an Instagram. He might eventually. We're talking about it, but he's still living in like the 1800s. And then the brand page is at Hunt Lift Eat Official. So go give it a follow and then subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you think. Hopefully it's a five-star rating and a great review. If it's not, just shoot me a personal email and we can address that. But as always, thank you guys so much. I appreciate the hell out of you. I know Perry does. So does Evan. You guys are the best. Thank you.